So as we think on uh, the experiences of uh, Finnegan, I wonder if any of us have ever sought or discovered a skill that has had immense costs that we have had to pay out a lot for, but we don't need anyone to motivate us. We don't, want, we don't need any fear of punishment. We don't need neither the carrot or the stick because there is an internal drive to pursue that discipline or that gift or that activity for its own sake. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. It says this in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very word of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So we have already been going through 1 Peter up to this point, and we uh, last time looked at Peter's uh, uh, reflection on church life. And he said, you know what? Church life should not be a bunch of overly sensitive snowflakes who come in and are constantly um, on the lookout for uh, offence. And we should not be constantly tiptoeing each other, round each other, worrying whether we're going to say uh, the wrong thing and offend someone because uh, 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 they're just looking to get upset. We should uh, uh, be loving to one another and that love should cover over a multitude of wrong words and inappropriate uh, uh, um, sentences so that we can sort of forgive each other and just get on with it. But more than that, Peter says we should be looking to be hospitable to one another. And, and precisely for Peter, that means inviting people around for coffee and for food and for uh, sort of company and fellowship. Church is not supposed to be a single Sunday meeting, but it is supposed to be part of a wider picture where people fellowship and are good at expressing love to one another. And Peter continues on that train of thought of not being overly sensitive, of being hospitable to one another. And now he considers the wider picture probably more likely a Sunday morning setting. You have the next slide? Probably not. And so Peter begins by saying um, that what, who he's talking to is every single person, that everyone in the congregation is included in his words that you do not get to exclude yourself from uh, uh, what Peter has to say next. If you, are, uh, if you love Jesus and you are uh, part of the local fellowship, then Peter is talking to you. Peter is addressing you directly. 
And um, sometimes you do get this uh, idea that church meetings are all about perhaps the professionals or the elite up the front and the rest of you get to freeload and just sort of surf the wave of church events and don't have to do anything. That it is everyone else's job to have church and then you just come along to be fed and nourished and serviced and stoked for the week ahead. And certainly if you are part of uh, some of these sort of mega churches, they're just so big that not everyone can help and you can just go along and uh, be encouraged by some nice songs and a a life-affirming word and then disappear off without even having said a word to anyone. I've certainly attended sort of church meetings uh, like that elsewhere. And Peter says that is not what church is supposed to look like. It's not the leadership team's job to run the different aspects of church. Church life is supposed to involve everyone. Everyone say everyone. Everyone. Everyone say me. Me. Excellent. And so all of us are supposed to join in and chip in and help. And then secondly, the apostle explains that everyone doesn't just chip in for the sake of it, but everyone is given a gift from God. Everyone say everyone. Everyone. Everyone say me. Me. Everyone has been given a gift from God, and that includes me and you. And so, and this is quite a big deal. I, I was trying to sort of, I've come up with many different ways of saying this, but In this place, even in the barn church in Bewbush, each of us has a divinely appointed space that we are supposed to fit exactly into. This congregation, as we rub along together and and try to make the best of things, there is a divinely appointed space For each of us, not just to exist, but to function and help out. When God gives us a gift, it is not something to make a quick buck or to elevate your position in the church. So maybe you get to take the mic or be in charge or have authority. It is not about ego trips. It is about love and service. And so each of us... In these meetings and in our uh, weekly existence as a church, each of us, every single one of us, has our part to play. And I wonder, have you discovered your part to play? I wonder if you've discovered the moment where you forget about yourself. Some of us, we need to forget that we're embarrassed about going up the front and just get up the front and get involved. Some of us need to get over ourselves and realise we're not called to get up the front, but we need to participate in some way that we don't get all the adulation and recognition for. Service has a multi, uh, 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 multitudinal aspect that we need to get to grips with. And this 
surfer story of William Finnegan. I really like it because I think it can be applied to this gifting, is that we need to discover God's gift that he has imparted to us and embrace that without counting the cost, without worrying how much it brings us into the red and without the need for other people flattering us and going, oh, you did such a great job, oh, you're amazing, you should definitely do that each and every time, or without the need of coercion, where they sort of a pastor or someone else comes, we are in complete need of this, you need to do something about it, otherwise the whole thing will uh, go to pot. Each of us has, is invited to find God's gift and get on board with it. There is no one that hasn't a gift, and there's no one whose gift is immaterial to the running of the church. This church will run better day to day if we all participate in the gifts God's given us. If we don't imagine that church is an opportunity to um, have a kip, or take it easy, or put our feet up. But where church is an opportunity to serve. Now, Peter doesn't go into it too much in his writings, but bless the Apostle Paul, he goes into it great depth. And uh, if you've got a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says this, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray by dumb idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Everyone say everyone. Everyone. Everyone say me. Me. You are included in Paul's writings. You do not get to be a special case because you are too embarrassed, too poorly educated or too poor. You are not too rich, not too busy elsewhere and uh, uh, not too good. For this, it includes all of us. And uh, to ram home Peter's point, Paul says, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Everyone is given a good gift. And everyone gets that gift to serve the person next to them for the common good. To one, there is given the Spirit... Um, given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different times of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the works of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one not as you warrant, not as how holy you are, not how good you think you are, but as he determines. And so 
Paul starts by saying, look, guys, I know you were pagan. I know that uh, you operated under all sorts of influences before you came to church. But you don't need to worry that that makes any difference in church. If you love Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, you are perfectly equipped to serve in this place. The Spirit is not bothered about um, where, which side of town you came from. It's not bothered how correct your Queen's English is or how many GCSEs at past grade you got. He is not bothered about all these other things that we think qualify us for service. The Spirit says, you love Jesus, that's enough for me. I'm coming in and I'm giving you gifts to serve other people. No one is excluded from this scene. And so what happens is that God works in an unseen way through every person here to lovingly serve the person next to them. Your church experience should be opportunity after opportunity to be good to the person and people around you. It is not a case of, oh, we come for a karaoke session, though I recognise that seems to be what we did uh, this morning. It's not supposed to be uh, a karaoke second, uh, a 45-minute talk from some uh, uh, guy up the front, and then we leave. Peter and Paul say that church life is an opportunity for us to serve one another, to get in each other's lives and be kind and generous and helpful. And, and Paul goes on a little more than Peter, and he says, there is a full spectrum of gifts. It is not you are either a worship leader or a preacher or someone that just does something practical. Um, the Holy Spirit gives this wide spectrum of gifts. And I think as church life has gone on, the opportunity for giftings has increased because there's more going on rather than less. And if someone really feels the Holy Spirit talking about IT to them, then we would embrace you, particularly uh, uh, this morning as we uh, uh, struggle with various um, IT issues. Peter Handley, I think, sort of divides it into two categories. He goes, some will be given uh, a gift of speech and others will be given a more practical uh, um, gifting. So, in this place, in this church, you will have hopefully heard Tim say things out loud and Bianca and Barry and Sam, and they say stuff, they read stuff, they pronounce stuff, that we suddenly go, oh, that's done me good. I'm, I'm glad they've said something. I'm glad it wasn't just a longer sermon or more songs. I'm glad we made room for people to bring what God has laid on their heart. And so we have these speech gifts that the Spirit brings. And they're a whole diverse. Some of them, um, and this is possibly me, um, it's a little bit of study, a little bit of prayer and research, and you sort of compile something um, that, that has a, a little bit of narrative uh, and length to it. And others, they come here sort of fresh as a daisy, and then God drops a word on their heart, uh, words of encouragement or prophecy or tongues or something else. And again, this is for our corporate and collective benefit. It may be that what is said up the front isn't 
actually for you every single time. But hopefully when anybody speaks up the front, there is someone that's gone, oh, I'm glad I received that this morning. Now there are, (coughs) as Peter acknowledges, there are more practical gifts. And um, those of us who are shy or retiring um, and don't like to be up the front, we are like, Dear Holy Spirit, I would like one of those, please. I'm going to be the front of the queue where I don't actually have to uh, um, hold a mic or be judged by anyone or uh, have anyone that come up helpfully and go, I would like to correct your theology there. So we've got people, um, we've got Rachel uh, doing DBS checks. What a gift of the Spirit that is. eh? It's not listed in the Bible, but it might be there. Kev and Dom shift and lift in the morning. Isaac and Jacob normally uh, manage the sound of media to our eternal gratitude. Um, And Kim, if she's got a vacuum cleaner, will just hoover up after us all right at the end. Now, these are all practical things that we recognise and are grateful for. But do you know what? None of those may be their gifts. Kim may not actually be gifted by God Uh, to hoover up it may be just something she sees needs doing and she chips in it may be and as we've come across now and again sort of her saying something you go yeah that's what God has empowered you to do in this place and so there is a distinction to be made between what needs doing and what God has gifted you to help the church with supernaturally so we need teas and coffees set up We need someone to host a home group. We need various different practical considerations. But there is also, um, and I think this is what both Peter and the Apostle Paul are drawing our attention to, there are supernatural elements where God has given us an ability that goes beyond mere necessity. And so some of us, we may be actually Holy Spirit inspired to Hoover and we need to release Kim to go and do what the God has given us. And so we need to look out, what is my gift? How am I going to express love supernaturally to these people? What is God saying to me about this? And there's a diversity and richness that I don't think we can ever exhaust. You can have more than one gift. I may not have any gifts and I'm just up here because I think it's important but you can have more than one gift you can be um, a worship leader and good at hospitality and a prophesier and various other things and I think there are new ones too there might be things going on in 10 years in the church that we've never imagined but the opportunity is there for us to consider how has God empowered me So the question you need, and I want you to ask yourselves this morning, how has the Holy Spirit gifted me? It's not if, because Peter and Paul say it's not an if. The Spirit has given you stuff to serve the rest of us. So the question is, what is that gift? Or what are those gifts? And then the second question is, if God has given me these gifts, how can I use them to serve everyone else? How can I ensure that I express love through the Holy Spirit supernaturally and do stuff that is going to build the church up and be for the collective and common good? If those questions seem a little intimidating and you go, well, I'm not sure 
I would say anything is a gift from God in my life. Um, and you know I'm terrible at almost everything, so I'm not sure you'd want me to serve in any way. In fact, my absence of serving does you good. A less intimidating way of looking at it is, what do I care about? What causes me to go, oh, we really should do that? What causes you to go, oh, I wish someone um, was doing this during our times together? And sometimes you suddenly find you're supernaturally gifted in it, and sometimes you just get your hoover out and clean up after people, and it's just something that needs to be done. I want to up the pressure on you now. Um, Turn to Matthew chapter 25. Sometimes I try and be gracious and and, and gentle and uh, um, just aware of your weaknesses, and that's not today. So Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one one bag, according to his ability. Then he went on his journey, and the man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the one who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold and see I've gained two more. And his master replied, and you can hear the smile. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered. Well, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Jesus is talking about spiritual gifts. And he equates to the talents God gives us to gold in this parable. Whatever God gives us, whatever supernatural gift is invested in us, that is gold, that is wealth, that is the riches of our master. And we are held to account for that. God has given everyone some manner of wealth, And God holds us all to account for how we use it. Regardless of the public uh, magnitude of our gift, regardless of how many many people see you get up to this, 
whether it's preaching or doing DBS checks. Jesus expects you to make the most of it. And it's not a, it's up to you how much you do. Jesus says, no, I have given you wealth. I have given you gold. I have given you a divine gift and you need to make sure you use it. When you do use it, God delights in you and welcomes you in and says, come and share your master's happiness. But if you don't bother, if you do not use these times of fellowship to serve and devote yourselves to expressions of love, God says, the stuff I've given you has just completely gone to waste. I gave you this gold. I gave you wealth out of my own storehouse to enrich the people you with. And you have just treated it with disdain and neglect because you were busy doing other things or listened to the voices in your head that said you weren't worthy or did some other thing than what you were supposed to. And let me tell you, this starts with personal holiness. It is good to look out at what you do and what you get up to. But that is not an end of it. It is about practising and honing the blessing What has God given you? Well, you need to get up to it and start doing it and honing your ability in practicing it. I'm not going to bore you with saying, if your gift is worshipping, you need to pick up an instrument and start taking music lessons. If your call is to preaching, you need to start reading some theology. if uh, your time, if your gift is prayer, then you need to practice that. If your gift is hospitality, then you need to watch more cookery shows. There's more to it than that. This is uh, Mark Renneker. Uh, he's known as a big wave surfer, um, sort of famous in the surf scene. And uh, um, I'm going to read something of his life. And it says this. But Mark trained for big waves with a joyful masochism. One morning I found myself standing on the embankment at Quintara, watching him trying to paddle out. The surf was over eight feet, ragged, relentless, onshore, and with no visible channels. Even the trough was not in evidence. Getting out looked impossible, and the waves looked not worth the effort anyway. But Mark was still out there, a small black wet-suited figure in a world of furious whitewater, throwing himself into the stacked walls of onrushing foam. Every time he seemed to be making headway, a new set would appear on the horizon, bigger than the last, breaking farther out. The biggest waves are breaking beyond 200 yards from shore and drive him back into the impact zone. Watching with me was Tim Bodkin, a hydrogeologist and surfer, and Mark's next-door neighbour. Bodkin was getting a huge kick out of Mark's ordeal. Forget it, Doc! He kept shouting into the wind, and then he would laugh. He's never going to make it. He just won't admit it. At times, we lost sight of Mark altogether. The waves rarely gave him a chance, even to clamber onto his board and paddle. Mostly, he was just underwater, diving under waves, swimming seaward along the bottom, dragging his board behind him. After 30 minutes, I began to worry, and the water was cold, and the surf was powerful. Bodkin, aglow with Schadenfreude, did not share my concern. Finally, after 45 minutes, there was a brief lull. 
Mark scrambled onto his board, paddled furiously, and within three minutes he was outside, churning over the crest of the next set with five yards to spare. Once he was safely beyond the surf, he sat up on his board to rest, and he was just a black speck bobbing on the blue, windblown sea. Our practice and faithfulness in service isn't just a temporary physical skill. Learning how to balance the books or brew a nice cup of filter coffee. When we serve, we are expressing God's agape love towards a group of people who are being prepared for eternity. The people around you are being prepared for eternity and this moment, this morning, is a chance for you to help that process. And so Mark Renneker called you, stop looking to have an easy life where church is minimal disruption on your life, where you don't have to break a sweat or spend too much time with the saints. Mark calls on you to put on your wetsuit in the howling blizzards and torrential rains, to stand up in the cold, face down the waves and get stuck in. Let me tell you, let me promise you, There is no discomfort endured, no energy spent, no money paid out, no time invested in this place, in this congregation, that Jesus won't infinitely uh, repay you when he welcomes you into his presence and says, come and share the joy of your master. Ultimately, we are serving and expressing love, not just to the um, eternal souls in this uh, building, but to Jesus himself. So try hard. Finally, I want us to remember that verse 11 has Peter asking that Christians be careful in the content of their serving. In this place, when we serve through the Holy Spirit gifts, it isn't just about applying training we may have received elsewhere or that we've heard from other people. It isn't just about doing what other people have told us to. Peter makes this rather interesting call. He says, when you speak, speak as God speaks. And when you serve, serve with God's strength. What you do in this fellowship shouldn't just be a replication of what you get up to in the world. The Holy Spirit empowers you supernaturally to serve us supernaturally. We need to um, discern and practice the gifts the Holy Spirit gives us. And when we do this, we must increasingly lean on God. Rather than become accustomed to our gift, um, 
and become better at doing whatever it is we do. We need to increasingly lean on God. The opposite of this is when a preacher retreats just into clever language and practice stories and funny quotes. When a preacher, instead of listening to God, he just retreats into things he knows works well with a crowd. The opposite of this is when a worship leader, instead of seeking the face of God for the congregation, just turns up the speakers a little louder, brings in a smoke machine and asks for the lasers to move a bit quicker. When they just ask the stage theatrics to be involved a little bit more. The gifts that we have are supposed to be more supernatural as we get experienced in, rather than less. There is never a substitute for the Christian servant who is propped up entirely by the Almighty. Let me read to you um, some preaching from John Wesley. So it was this. Uh, On the 26th of April, John Wesley was preaching at Newgate Jail. I'd love the idea of going outside uh, Brixton Prison and uh, uh, deciding to preach. Um, Apparently this was a favourite haunt that was open to all comers. Um, So he preached for a while and then he prowled aloud um, on sort of divine impulse. Um, And he asked that if he was right, God would send a sign. And Wesley records this. I hope you can hear his dependence not on clever arguments or witty stories, but on the power of God. Immediately, the power of God fell upon us. One and another and another sunk to the earth. You might see them dropping all sides as thunderstruck. One cried out loud, Um, I went and prayed over her, and she received joy in the Holy Ghost. A second falling into the same agony, we turned to her and received for her also the promise of the Father. Wesley's preaching was becoming a noisy event, which of course only further outraged his many, many opponents, as well as closing doors that had been opened to him until now. Wesley tells of a local doctor who denounced the antics of his smitten hearers as fraud only to see a female patient he had known for many years weeping, wailing, sweating and shaking. When both her body and soul were healed in an instant, the doctor acknowledged the finger of God. Another angry spectator, a Quaker, was making disapproving faces. And I've known that, disapproving faces. Uh, When he himself keeled over in agony we besought God not to lay folly to his charge and he soon lifted up his head and cried aloud now I know thou art a prophet of the Lord I really hope you can hear in Wesley's account this reliance not just on God's gift to him, but on God's power working through him. Uh, John Wesley uh, wrote this, My fear is not that our great movement, known as the Methodists, will eventually cease to exist or one day die from the earth. My fear is that our people will become content 
to live without the fire, the power, the excitement, the supernatural element that makes us great. I wonder if you come to church with the expectation of the supernatural. I wonder if you come here with the hope that God will use you. Not that God will visit on you and experience, but God will use you supernaturally to touch the lives around you because that is not the preserve and exclusive right of someone up the front. John Wesley was an exceptional preacher, but there are exceptional rank-and-file Christians who see others' people breast day in, day out. And the call at the end of Peter's passage is not just that you would be professional in your gift, because in many ways that's the opposite of what Peter is saying. Peter is saying, find your gift and do it supernaturally. Lean on God with increasing measure. When you speak, don't just speak the words that you spoke last week and that people enjoyed. Listen to God and speak out his words for today. When you practice whatever gift God has given you, lean on him at that moment and allow him to empower you properly. We're not supposed to go through our gifts sleepwalking or uh, freewheeling, but with the power of God himself. And so, as we move on, and we're going to have a, a final song, the call this morning is that each and every single one of us, and there is no one excluded from this, that we be motivated by love and cry out to our Heavenly Father for gifts. If you do not regularly get up to something helpful on a Sunday morning, then you have an opportunity to call out to God and ask for intervention, for his blessing. And then, as we help each other, as we supernaturally serve each other, whether it is the uh, uh, most exciting cup of coffee you have ever heard, had or the, uh, the best sermon that's ever been delivered. We need to demonstrate that big wave surfer mentality where it isn't about how much praise and recognition we get, where it isn't ab- about how much other people see us doing well, but where we demonstrate this deliberate faithfulness, patience and fruitfulness where it becomes an internal urge just to get better and better and better, where it becomes an internal urge to listen to the voice of God every Sunday morning and ask, how can I help the people around me? 